0: When I mentioned about uh, the holiday club that is starting, I meant to say that there are some prayer cards out there on the table in the entrance hall. Just pick one up. There are two different prayer cards. There's one that's uh, asking you to pray for the spiritual side and the practical side. The other one is asking you to pray for safety and relationships. So you can pick up one or pick up both. They're there on the table. Please take them and use them through this week and just bless those who are involved in in the holiday club. Even when you're away on holiday, you can't get away from the news. It's there if you turn the radio on. It's there if you uh, pick up one of your devices or, or whatever. And you can say, well, you can turn it off. But, uh, you know, it's there in the background, isn't it? And uh, there's one word which I'm sure will bring groans from everyone. And it's the word Brexit. And I don't know about you, but there's part of me that despairs. And I've been really sort of challenged over the last couple of weeks over it. And God has said to me, how much have you prayed for it, David? How much have you prayed for it? How much has your church prayed for it? Now, I guess if we went round with a microphone, we've all got a view on it. It might be pro, it might be anti, it might be somewhere in the middle, it might be confused, whatever. We'd all have a view on it. But I wonder, in all honesty, how many have made it a regular part of our prayers? I feel sorry for Theresa May, quite honestly, and I'm not making a political statement there she's caught in the middle of the most horrendous storm. And the poor woman is trying to do the best she can, but in whichever way she turns, she gets stabbed in the back. That's effectively what it is. So I want us to pray this morning. I want us to pray, particularly for the Brexit process. And I do so with a reminder that in our history, and not too distant past, our nation has been urged to pray, notably during the First World War. And it's coming up to the 100-year anniversary when King George V called a National Day of Prayer on August the 4th to pray regarding the First World War. 100 days later, the war ended. The war ended. The challenges that we face today are very different, aren't they? For which, in a sense, we should be very thankful. <laughs> the Brexit arguments are a lot, you know, better than an all-out war, although it sometimes seems as if it's all-out war. But it's a significant point in our history. And we're called as the people of God, aren't we, to pray for those in government and those in authority over us. I don't know about you, but I have to confess I'm more guilty of complaining about them and grumbling about them than praying for them. So let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Gracious, loving God, we give thanks today for all the blessings we have in the knowledge of your presence and of your peace. We give thanks for our nation and the freedoms that we enjoy and take for granted. Father God, it is now two years since the vote to leave the European Union was made and we come to a critical time in those negotiations that seek to agree the basis on which the separation will work. Father, there are many divisions within our nation As a result of this referendum we pray for the healing of our government, parliament and nation. We pray for Theresa May and the senior members of our government as they meet together. We ask that in your mercy you would end all point scoring and divisive behaviour, bring harmony and a common sense of purpose and direction. We pray for Parliament with all its party factions, ideologies and dogma. We pray for a change in attitude, behaviour and rhetoric within both houses of Parliament. That at this very difficult time, righteousness, justice and respect for one another will prevail and a fair and equitable outcome will result, bringing unity and enabling us as a nation to move forward together. In the wider negotiations with the EU, we pray that a mutually beneficial structure will be agreed that will enable crucial trading and cooperative relationships, an agreement that will maintain good relationships and lead to the benefit of all. We are deeply thankful that for many years we have been blessed by relative peace and freedom from war in Europe. As a new chapter opens, we earnestly pray for continued stability in this geographical area. Finally, we ask that as a nation, we would be able to move forward together after the divisions that the referendum has exposed. Remind us that ultimately sovereignty lies not in our government, nor in Parliament, but in your hands, that you are the one who exalts or humbles a nation. May we humble ourselves, turn again to you, our sovereign God, that you might lift us up and heal our nation. We bring our petitions to you, our eternal Father. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Why is it paper doesn't do what you want it to do? We turn to God's word and to 1 Peter... And we continue our studies in one Peter. And uh, we're looking at the second half of One Peter chapter four, under the title of "Living Through Suffering." And there's a sense in which, perhaps at the end of this, you might be wishing that I was still on holiday, <laughs> but uh, we'll see we'll see how we go. Go with it. Now I'm conscious that we've been looking through 1 Peter over these recent weeks and there's a sense in which I didn't want to rush through it. And I know that we're coming now into the summer season. Next week at our 1045 service it will be a celebration of the, the holiday club. But then there is a week following which in, in sense, at the beginning of August when I hope in a sense to wrap up uh, this series in 1 Peter chapter 5 under the title of Standing Firm in two weeks time but we have this passage and i must admit when i read it earlier in this week i gulped and uh, but then suffering is a very big theme through the whole of one peter and we're going to read it and i'm going to read it from the contemporary english version uh, this morning i know i've read it from the niv previously or from the message but i just want to use the the english The Contemporary English Version. But it's going to come on the screen so that you can follow it. Dear friends, don't be surprised or shocked that you are going through testing that is like walking through fire. Be glad for the chance to suffer as Christ suffered. It will prepare you for even greater happiness when he makes his glorious return. Count it a blessing when you suffer for being a Christian. This shows that God's glorious spirit is with you. But you deserve to suffer if you're a murderer, a thief, a crook or a busybody. Don't be ashamed to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God that you belong to him. God has already begun judging his own people. And if his judgment begins with us, imagine how terrible it will be for those who refuse to obey his message. The scriptures say, if good people barely escape, what will happen to sinners and to others who don't respect God? If you suffer for obeying God, you must have complete faith in your faithful creator and keep on doing right. There's a sense in which this passage is dealing with the whole question of of suffering as a result of our Christian faith, because of the stand that we take. And there's a very real sense, isn't there, that within society there seems to be a a rise in that, in a sense that we can feel ostracised, we can feel ridiculed, we can feel uh, as if we're being pushed out or we we recognise that we are very much a minority within our secular society. But okay, I want to also broaden it in terms of our understanding of suffering. But before I do that, I want to introduce you to Leah. Leah is 15 years old, and she she has refused to renounce her Christian faith. And for that, she has paid the price with her freedom. Leah was one of 110 girls abducted from the school in Dapachi, Nigeria, by Boko Haram in February of this year. The next month, following negotiations by the government, the girls were put into vehicles to go home. However, Leah wasn't among them. She wasn't released because she refused to renounce her faith and embrace Islam in exchange for her freedom. Wednesday of this week, 18th of July, marked 150 days since her abduction. And Peter Gregg, through the 24-7 prayer uh, network, they called a day of prayer, for her release. The cost of following Jesus. Now, very few of us will be called to face such suffering as Leah. Although, according to very to very reliable sources, there are as many as 200 million Christians in over 60 countries around the world facing some degree of restriction, discrimination, Or outright persecution today. That is about one in ten of an estimated 2.2 billion Christians. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Pete. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Phil. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And we could go round. Our suffering does not come in such outright persecution or discrimination, but rather in what I call the trials of life, of opposition, ridicule, personal hardship, physical illness, disability, etc. Before we go any further, let's pray. Let's pray for Leah. Father, we thank you. We we pray for the challenge of this young girl, Leah. We thank you for her courage, for her boldness. And we pray that you will sustain her. But Father, we pray that you would release her by the power of your might and of your grace. And we do pray for those around the world today who face persecution. For those who are imprisoned for those who are in fear of their lives for those who are ostracized for those who are split from families father for those who are fleeing father we pray that your grace might be sufficient to meet all their needs and as we pray for them we're conscious of our own freedoms and we give you thanks for the freedoms that we enjoy may we not take them for granted but we, may we also be prepared to stand firm in our faith when we are called to do so. Amen. The existence of suffering and evil in the world is an obstacle to believing in Jesus for many people, especially if you hold also to the goodness of God and to the sovereignty of God. A question that has always comes up on the Alpha Course or Christianity explored causes. Why does God allow suffering? You've only got to start a conversation with somebody and they say, well, what about all the suffering in the world? Now, 1 Peter does not answer our general questions about suffering and evil. His main concern is to prepare his readers to face unjust suffering, the inevitable reality of that unjust suffering. Now, there's a sense in which I want to say that all suffering that we go through is unjust because it just seems random, doesn't it? Why does one person get a cancer and I don't? Why does one person become redundant and I don't? Why is one person blessed by immense wealth and another person isn't? Now, we can give lots of reasons for that, but there almost seems a kind of random nature About it. But Peter's concern is that whenever we face justice, we might be equipped to respond. When we face suffering, we might be equipped to respond well to it and to give us a hope in the midst of it. Now, when suffering comes, how should we respond? Peter outlines what is a very radical, abnormal, And supernatural way to respond to suffering. In verse 12, he states the inevitability of suffering. And then in verse 13, he states, But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Peter is saying, When you are thrown into the dungeon of suffering, keep rejoicing. When you're dropped into the ocean, of affliction keep rejoicing in fact keep on rejoicing not in spite of the suffering but because of it he's only echoing what he began his letter with in all this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials 1 peter 1 verse 6 In the remainder of this passage, Peter gives us a number of reasons why we can keep on rejoicing and how we should respond when suffering strikes, when it hits, when life is tough. And they all relate to who God is and to what God is doing in our lives. First one, do not be surprised when suffering comes. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes, that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. One of the questions that so often is thrown at me, you know, as I meet people in different circles, why has God allowed this? Why should this happen to me? I remember Arthur Ashe, the tennis player, years ago. He uh, caught HIV. Uh, through blood, blood transfusion. And somebody asked him, Do you ever ask the question, Why did God allow this? He says, No. He said, Why not? Why not? Why should I be exempt in a world of suffering? There. Suffering isn't strange, it isn't absurd, it isn't meaningless, it has a purpose. It's for your testing. Look at verse 19. So, that, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. What does it say? It says, according to God's will. Our struggle and suffering is not outside of the will of God. It is part of God's will. And that's hard and that's tough, isn't it? For us to take. This is true even when Satan may be the immediate cause. God is sovereign over all things, including our suffering and including Satan. Remember Joseph? All that Joseph went through? And we can say, yes, he brought some of it on to himself. But what he said at the end of his life... Oh, no, I didn't, put it, I didn't put that up. But he said, remember, Joseph, you intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What, Joseph, the accusation of rape? Joseph, the humiliation of being sold into slavery? Joseph, all those lost years in prison, you really mean that? That God meant it for good and for the saving of many lives? Yes. So do not be surprised when suffering strikes, whatever that might be. Secondly, entrust yourself to a faithful Creator. The second challenge Peter gives us is in verse 19. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. The purpose of scripture and of good theology is to build up and sustain and to encourage our trust in God. In all Christian In all Christian suffering, Satan, according to 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, is seeking to devour faith. He's seeking to destroy our faith. Making us doubt, making us unsure, making us uncertain of the God in whom we have put our trust. But through our suffering, God is seeking to test and to refine our faith. We see that in verse 12. We see it there in chapter 1, verse 7. God's great purpose in all our suffering will be, to com- will, will be accomplished when we do what Jesus did in sight of the agony of the cross when he cried out, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. What Jesus did was he entrusted himself to a faithful creator, God. According to 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 9, God's purpose in suffering is to cause us to rely no longer on ourselves, but to rely upon him. This is Paul speaking. We are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Ever been there? Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayer. Whatever our suffering, whatever our struggle, we're called to entrust ourselves to a faithful God. We're called to rejoice because we share also in Christ's suffering. Peter goes on to say that we can keep on rejoicing because our suffering as a Christian is is an evidence of our union with Christ. But rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed." In other words, your sufferings are not merely your own. Your sufferings are not merely your own. They are also Christ's and a sharing in his suffering. Paul writes some very powerful words in Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11 about sharing in Christ's suffering. Now, I guess most of us can probably quote the first part of this. But we hesitate to move on to the second. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Full stop. That's what often we say, isn't it? Full stop. But there isn't a full stop and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. We share in Christ's suffering. Whatever we are going through, whatever the circumstances, whether it might be the hostility of others, whether it might be an affliction of our own body, whatever that suffering entails, it is a sharing in Christ's suffering. We're also called to do what is right from our hearts. The fourth challenge in these verses comes in verse 15 and 19. If you suffer, you should not be a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even. A meddler. I love that. I love that. It says, you know, because actually he says, that yes, there's some suffering that comes because, as a result of who we are and of what we do. A meddler, a busybody. Sticking your nose in everybody else's business. Telling them what to do. Telling them how to live their lives. Well, you know, there, that's it. And then verse 19 says, continue to do Good. When you possess a great trust in God, a good theology, and an overflowing joy, even in suffering, the obstacle to loving others and the incentive for abusing others are gone. People who kill, who steal, and are troublemakers and annoy others are people who have not known God in his greatness, his love, his mercy and his forgiveness. They've not trusted him like a child and found in him a joyfulness in living, a joyful fulfilment. So they try to satisfy the frustrations of their own lives by hitting out at others. But those who know and trust and delight in God their creator, their redeemer, their Lord, are free from that, are free from the slavery of sin and their joy is in God, in God's overflowing patience and kindness and love. And therefore they do good. They continue to do good whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance. Finally, finally Peter, gives a promise to those who journey this pathway of suffering. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now I believe this verse is true whatever the sufferings we go through if we're seeking to honour the name of Jesus Christ, whatever the circumstances in our lives, his spirit is with us. I believe 1 Peter 4, verse 14, promises that in the hour of greatest trial and of greatest need, God comes to his children and gives them courage and faith which they did not know that they were capable of having because it comes through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in them. The times I have sat with people who have experienced devastating news, maybe the sudden death of a loved one, maybe a diagnosis, and they just simply say, I sense and I know God's power and God's presence in a way that I've never known it before. And it's in a sense in which God doesn't give it to us before we need it, but he gives it when we need it. When we need it. At that point, the Holy Spirit will help you. In that doctor's surgery, in that funeral director's waiting room, as you're waiting to speak to the boss or as you're confronting a difficult family situation or someone is pointing the finger at you and you're a Christian, aren't you? The Holy Spirit will be there. The Holy Spirit will help you. He will give you the strength you need to be strong in the face of the ordeal just when you need it. Not before. Whether you are a Leah being called to renounce your faith and lose your freedom, or if you are someone facing a life changing situation or circumstance with devastating implications, what's our response? Peter's very clear you should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. He's saying you should trust God. Trust God that he's working it out. Trust God that he's working it through. Into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. Jesus said, Did he know at that point the power of the resurrection? No. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. All he could see was the agony of the cross. But God knew. And God knows for each and every one of us that beyond what we are going through now, yes, there's the glory of the resurrection. And there is the glory of life eternal. But in the here and now, he's shaping, he's moulding, he's challenging, he's testing our faith. So that we may be able to stand firm, as Peter puts it in the next chapter. So that we might be able to stand firm in the love and in the grace of God. All okay. Let's pray. John, would you come? And uh, we are going to sing. We are going to respond. And there's a sense in which, yeah, that's a tough message. But maybe that this morning, there are those of us who are going through the mill. There are those of us who are going through the mill if for one reason or another, Directly or indirectly. And the challenge this morning is to commit that meal, whatever it is. To commit that meal, whatever it is, to God. And to say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you in the midst of the darkness. That one day there will be that glorious light. Can you do that? Can you do that? Maybe just in a moment of quietness. Just commit whatever burdening you to God and say, God, I hand it over to you. I hand it over to you. I believe in your sovereignty. I believe in your goodness. I believe in your ultimate purposes. And yet, at the moment, I can't, I can't see through this can't see through this diagnosis. I can't see through this situation. I can't see through this circumstance. But Lord, I trust you. I trust you. And I will worship you. I will worship you. Father, whatever has been offered to you in these moments... I know that you have taken it already to yourself and you have taken it to the cross and you've redeemed it. And whatever the pain and whatever the suffering, there is redemption today in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Father, I pray that you would give perseverance, you'd give faithfulness to your people. Father, that whatever the test, whatever the trial, they might stand up under it, declaring themselves to be your children, your sons, your daughters, by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.